Welcome to our Brave Feminine Leadership interview series. I'm so thrilled to have Chris Grant as part of the conversation. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you this morning. Pleasure. So, Chris, um, this series is titled No More Secrets. Extraordinary leaders share their journey from good to great. And I'm going to touch on your bio just very briefly for the audience, and then we'll jump into the conversation. So, um, Chris Grant's been leading ASPL Group as CEO for over 10 years and oversees the management consulting training and recruitment divisions. Chris is a champion of emerging leaders and an ambassador for workplace equality and reached C-level roles by the age of 32 as a mother to two young children. Prior to that, Chris was leading over 50,000 staff throughout Asia Pacific at a global talent management firm. Um, I know that you are a super keen Pilates student um, and love spending time with your children, Amy and Adam, and your fur baby, Apple, to which I need to add, and you're the CEO of ASPL. What is it with the letter A? I know. Everyone always asks me about the letter A. I, I didn't actually associate it with ASPL, but yes, I uh, do. I know a bit of the uh, type A personality, but um, it wasn't intentional. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Chris, for people who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, I would love you to share with us, I mean, who are you as a human being? And let's jump into your journey and your story. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. Um, obviously, yes, I have been in C-level position now um, for a while and leading ASPL, really passionate about um, change. So change from a client's perspective, um, obviously, uh, uh, equality uh, from um, not only our culture, but whatever I can do to support females as I came up through the glass ceilings, a lot of challenges there. Um, very, very passionate around neuroscience. We have a whole leadership arm and really have been able to utilize that um, throughout my own practice, which is amazing. Um, and obviously, the most um, important part of my life is obviously being a mom to Amy and Adam. And Apple is like my um, youngest child. So she's uh, a little caboodle and she's adorable. Gorgeous. So let's go right back to you growing up. So where did you grow up? And, um, you know, tell us a bit about your family. Yeah, I grew up in Melbourne um, and went to um, private schools here. And I was, again, really trying to push up against the norm, um, especially uh, one of the schools I went to. I was one of the first females coming in. So it was a co-ed school. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then I went to university. Um, started my first um, role at BHP as an intern or grad, I should say. Um, and at that stage, there was only one female leader. Okay. Um, so not, um, unfortunately, in my case, because um, I went through, obviously, a lot of uh, corporate roles, I didn't have a lot of uh, female role models. Um, and as I said, it was there was huge, especially in my first C level. I was the first female um, leader and executive, so there was there's certainly some challenges there from that perspective. Okay, so let's go into um, uh, you know I guess next stage in your career. Did you always have some clarity about the direction you were heading? Like I heard you say you didn't necessarily have role models, but 
you know, was your career intentional or opportunistic? Like, how did it kind of evolve? Um, believe it or not, I did an accounting degree, which is kind of against, uh, which is coming handy, I say, at the time, but I didn't really utilise it um, as much as I probably could have. Like, it was amazing to have a business um, background. Um, I was really... Um, fell in quite young so I was in my 20s when I first started leading people always had quite a natural um, disposition for leadership um, obviously that has evolved over time um, and you know to be honest I worked exceptionally hard so yes there were opportunities um, I wasn't really cutthroat I was trying to be my authentic self as much as I possibly could uh, and really um worked significant hours to be honest and really um, kept growing going up the ladder as such um, from my um, I guess more I was trying to be strategic at all times so even when we know as leaders and emerging leaders you um, sometimes have to always look at well what's best for the business so I wasn't actually looking always at times of what's best for myself I was looking at well some of the decisions that are being made that I had to make, you know, whether it was redundancies or whatever, I had to always take into account. And that kind of shaped. And I think that's probably why I got into quite um, a sea level quite young. Okay. So I'm just going to jump straight in and ask your perspective, and then we'll keep focusing back on points of your career as we go from there. But, you know, what is your perspective on whether leaders are born or made? I think I'm kind of um, into, I could say both ways, to be honest, Melissa. So I absolutely believe that sometimes we have all an innate ability and you're born and you love leadership. Um, but since I do train in leadership, I also believe that you could do, you absolutely can harness your learnings and really build that self-awareness and that self-regulation that goes with leadership now. So I, I, I think it's two, both ways, to be honest. Okay, so what would you call out as the first kind of critical moment on your leadership journey um, where, you know, it really started propelling you from one level of leadership into another? I think what really um, started propelling me is, um, as I mentioned before, where I really had the kind of um, self-realisation that I had to make decisions that were probably best based on um, business um, and what the business needed to grow rather than um, my own personal views at times. Mm -hmm. um, and then because I'm such a people person, um, really, you know, ensuring I had boundaries with my staff, that was a great big learning because uh, I have deep empathy for people as well. Um, and really kind of going, well, they're not my children. I can only lead them so far to success and it's okay. You know, everyone's on a different journey. So um, that's probably one of my, you know, early learnings. Mm -hmm. um, when I took over um, or when I moved to ASPL, I should say, I then decided that I needed to go to a whole new level because I was um, thinking I didn't want to get stale with my leadership style and we had been working with Griffith University um, with many different masters. So we developed a master um, for um, enterprise architecture. And I was like, there's such a gap in the market for leadership. And then we went through this whole, which was probably another really, really milestone where I was like, let's look at neuroscience and that whole power of the brain and 
um, that's probably the greatest um, step in my career, to be honest. So if we go back to some of the um, the times when you were sort of leading teams of 50,000 and I think you were sort of solo female for a while in that sort of environment. I was. Talk to us, yeah, talk to us about... Um, tell, tell Am us I multitasking? Yeah. <laughs> tell us about that time. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, I was, uh, you know... I, I think, unfortunately, and you've probably got a little bit of the same yourself, is that in the generation that I came in, um, we were kind of like, well, you can do it all. Um, but then we had this kind of perfectionist part of us where we all were trying to achieve um, so much. Um, so the more that I gave in my roles, the more that it just got larger and larger. So, you know, it was um, doing multiple um, conference calls, um, board meetings constantly. Um, I was also a board member for another part of the uh, of Drake where I was working as well. Um, and it was craziness. Like the whole that whole period um, with you know uh, kids coming through. So I went from daycare to school um, and um, working. Um, you know, for, like I was reporting into um, Canada. And then the US, so as you're probably aware, then you're on virtually 24-7 and probably not using my conscious mind like I do now. Okay. And you ended up sick? Yeah, I ended up twice in hospital one year with uh, pneumonia, (laughs) Um, which is just that I was burning out so quickly. Like I just, there's only so much you can do. Um, And it's really hard to self-regulate in environments which are exceptionally fast-paced um, and very um, political. So when you say political, what do you mean? Um, it was politically, it was a politically kind of driven company. Um, and as I mentioned before, there were a lot of female leaders. Um, and it, it was challenging from a political level. I always say um, it's bizarre, but the higher up you go, sometimes the lonelier the role. Yes. Um, and you have to look at your support systems and you have to um, try it. The hardest thing when you're doing those global roles is finding the balance in, in all honesty. And so something is always giving, which is probably why I ended up sick all the time. So did you, did you feel like you ever sort of achieved your balance in that phase of your career? I find that I always... I've always, even now, I have to really be disciplined about balance. Um, as I said, when, when you have high discipline, you just give more and more and more. And now I recognise I kind of treat myself like an athlete. So I really try and um, ensure that, you know, I have those breaks, that I do Pilates regularly. At that stage, and it also could have been because the kids were younger, um, I, pro- I definitely wasn't as balanced as I am now. So were you the sort of person that was putting your hand up for different roles and new opportunities as they came up or were you, you know, we often... I was, yeah, I was I was a bit of a both. So, yes, I would put my hand up, but I also was promoted a lot because of my ethic. Do you know what I mean? Like I just kept working harder and harder and then I took on more and more. Um, until then one day I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, I, I like, because, you know, I my... Uh, board that I reported into were quite mature so they were all men and they were 
ranging anywhere from their 60s, 70s and 80s. And I had been trying for like five, six years to shape a different strategy with, as you know, the recruitment market especially had shifted um, to more commoditized market. And I was trying to uh, work through different strategies. And my EA, as she was incredible, had been very, so she was quite... Um, she'd been there for like 20 years and she's like, Chris, I'm going to scare you after um, she's showed me minutes of the board meeting from 20 years ago, which is quite similar to what I actually raised. And I kind of had this light bulb moment where I was like, I don't want to be like a, um, I don't want to have a relationship which kind of burns out like we would personally. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I want to leave in a really good note. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, so when I made that decision, it was just so refreshing. Um, and now, um, obviously, we don't have any of those politics and I'm very careful to ensure that doesn't happen again, like in, within our organisation. Did you get a lot of good feedback as you were navigating your way through your career? I had good feedback. I also had difficult leaders, which I learned from. Um, They weren't very supportive of being a mum, to be honest, in in a lot of ways, um, which now obviously is completely um, changed, which I think is brilliant. There's one positive out of the pandemic is that we have deep empathy um, for working parents. Um, So, yes, um, good good feedback. But I also had a lot of people that were difficult too. Like, as you know, yourself being a C-level, you also have that whole jealousy that goes on and and not trying not to buy into some of that nonsense, which I call like the chatter. Is It's hard and it takes deep resilience to kind of hold yourself back from that and not be heard or, or not to buy into it because I always say it's just such wasted energy. So how did that, what sort of things sort of, what, what showed up in that space for you? Oh, so much. There was yeah. just so much like, you know, males and females um, were at times challenging Um, and you know you get invested into your relationships at work and so if uh, you know there's backstabbing or whatever um, that goes on you kind of feel so disappointed in them individually so I kind of really learnt boundaries from that to be honest Um, and you really um, become more I remember one of the advice I got when I was younger is um and he was an incredible um, uh, leader from um, Canada. And he said, Chris, you've just got to try not to um, be too invested in your people. Okay. And, and really, um, you know, appreciate, as I said, that they're not your kids. <laughs> and you can't change everyone. Yeah. Do you feel like that's what you were trying to do early in your career, kind of? I think I was like I wanted to change everything so I just I didn't pick my battles all the time I just wanted to I wanted um you know for us to be more strategic I wanted the people to be more engaged I wanted and it's a lot when you've got a large workforce um and then if if things didn't um evolve in the way um, then I kept on trying and trying. Um, and you've got to recognise that you can lead people, to, in, obviously, but a lot of um, success actually comes from yourself. So empowerment is so important. And you, to me now, like, you know, if, if one of my staff said, you know, Chris, you know, I want to leave, I'm actually like, absolutely. Like, 
Do you know what I mean? Whereas back then I was probably, I probably would have tried to save him. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so did you go straight from, so you're in this sort of situation where you've got an all male board, a lot older, nothing's moving or changing. So you have this realization that you, you want to move on. You want to pursue something different. Did you find that something different before you left or did you, what did you do? How did you navigate that time? I had an awfully long um, notice period. <laughs> so um, I had been offered another C-level role um, and I was into mine. So I was like, well, I've got a, like a three, four month notice period. I'm going to just, and I was entertaining both. Um, the tier um, ones were also over the years been always like, Chris, will you come work before us? And I was just kind of like, I just don't know if I can do more of this. You know, like I was just like, I feel like I need to like shape where I want to go. I don't want any more politics. I don't want to be fighting against boards about what I think is strategic. And I don't want more of the same. And that's ultimately um, why I made the decision. So a lot of people find themselves in that situation where they know what they don't want, but they don't know what they do want. So how did you how did you find the what I do want part of that? Uh, I I was really blessed that I went into a consulting company. So ASPL was already existing and I was just given liberty to do what I wanted. Okay. So you just you just took a step and then started to evolve it in the space yes. that you wanted to. So I was like, I want to do something different with recruitment. I want to do something different with management consulting and I want to introduce um, training. Okay. So um, you mentioned to me when you and I got together that you've had situations where you haven't always had females supporting other females as well as they could. Yes. And I just would love, you know, I think one of the things, one of the things we talked about was, um, you know, other females looking up at female executives doing roles and thinking, I don't know that I want that role. Can you expand on that sort of conversation that we were having? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm all obviously around supporting females in every capacity, given I have experienced it myself the glass ceiling that is what I see all the time unfortunately um, which I don't think is called out enough is the kind of school behavior that goes on with females um, whether it's mean girls bullying whatever it may be can sometimes replicate itself in the workplace and I feel like sometimes we just don't talk about it enough to be honest, and I see it all the time in our clients' work sites um, or workplaces, um, and I've seen it obviously in my own, and I'm first to really call it out. So um, sometimes I think it's females bond that way, you know, whether it's positive or, yeah, whether it's positive or negative, and I think that um, leaders need to, you know, really call it out so you know sometimes you see it over email or you see it where people are talking behind each other's back or whatever it may be and you just need to go okay let's get together as a group and let's move on because again I feel like so much energy is wasted in that pocket okay and you've had those direct experiences on the way through your ah, career. 
every role. Okay. And did you tackle any of those? I mean, were they peers? Were they leaders? Both. Yeah, I did tackle them yeah. um, because that's just my personality. So I don't what I'm like, because you know what happens is that over, otherwise we all overthink it for hours on edge. So I, I was an overthinker, whereas now I would just tackle it. I, would, I wouldn't even, I would try not to overthink it. And what is that if you tackle it, if it's happening to you and you tackle it, what does that look like? I, I just have really upfront conversations. Okay. So I don't overthink. Like if I'm worrying about something, I will absolutely go, you know what? It's far better to have a conversation. Whereas when I was younger and I hadn't kind of trained my conscious mind, I would just be overthinking it for hours. So um, I think that's what we all tend to do, males and females. Um, you know, when I uh, train emerging leaders, it's just amazing when you talk about the conscious mind and, uh, you know, we all get up and generally we all really want to be successful, but we just don't know how to do it or be it. And then we're disappointed in ourselves. It's kind of like our New Year's resolutions where we have that bucket list of 50 and we kind of set ourselves up to fail. So let's stay on that theme then, because um, you know what I hear there is saying people don't know how to succeed. They've got they've got dreams and things that they want to yes. do. What what do people need to do? What do you think is the secret to that? I think that you've got to appreciate that success actually is in with within yourself, and that you've got to do the dis like you've got to actually learn about yourself. You've got to actually spend time with yourself. Um, you've got to do things like, um, you know, train your brain, you know, journaling, um, all of those kind of consciousness. You've got to recognize your own patterns. You know, like I'm an early morning person, like I'm at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. Um, and, you know, I like to have my routines during the week. I like to, you know, get up and potter around and then I go to Pilates. And even if I'm traveling, I do the same. And I recognize now when I need to recharge, like I always go when I went on that journey myself, like it's kind of get you get bored with yourself. Like you're kind of like, God, if I keep journaling about myself, I'm going to be so sick of myself. But it's so crucial. Um, it's not, you know, success or leadership. It's not like taking a neurofit. It's not going to happen. It's we're all lifelong learners. And, and the more that you get to know yourself and what works for you, um, the greater ability you'll be to harness what you want to do, you know. In my last series, we spent a bit of time talking about self-awareness as a leader and how critical it is. And one of the people I interviewed in that series was David Thody. And he said um, that he, see, you know, he saw a lot of leaders in his career who were never going to reach their full potential because they were not self-aware. Completely agree on that one. He's one of our clients too. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like it's hard. It's hard when you're in, um, it's hard to self-regulate. It's hard to have that self-awareness. And as I said, I feel like people generally go, just don't, like I hate, it kind of sounds like a cliche, but you've got to do the work. Yeah. And there's still a lot of people that resist things like that. So, you know, whether it be journaling or meditation or any of those sorts of things, still a lot of people, um, I think in our generation, resist yes. 
resist doing that, resist it. Um, what's your perspective on, do you agree with me firstly? And then, you know, why do you think that is the case? Um, I think we are the generation where you just take, like, you know, you've got depression, take a pill. You want to be a leader, you do a one-day course. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that quick um, result, but it doesn't work, right? You want to build your self-awareness. You've got to commit to it, right? And a lot of it is not I'm waiting for Melissa to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of it you have to do it yourself. And I think that's where people find it really challenging. So they want to be successful. They want to be a leader, but they just don't know how to do the work to get there. Mm. And then if, say if you teach them, you, you, it's all around empowerment, as you know, they still have to do the work. It's not something that it just switches overnight. And if you, like, you know, you've got your subconscious mind going constantly, all of us, right? Yeah. And you've got to work out how you do you actually work with it, not against it. Is there a, a soft skill? Is there a skill that you're still working on? Um, well, obviously, I always continue to work on my subconscious part. So, yes, I will always do that. Um, I'm always aware of, like, ego. Like, the higher up you go, obviously, I've always been quite um, good at ego. Like, you know, I'm not – I will talk to everyone. I don't – like, ego is one thing I'm really um, conscious of. Um, triggers is something I'm really conscious of too and I and you know it's really important to listen as well you know I've got a a huge personality so I'm constantly going 24-7 like you know facilitating doing what I do but um, I do try and listen as much as I can what does your morning routine look like I need to ask that because people are wondering (laughs) now that you've said you're up at four or five what does that look like well, I get up and I have um, a shower and I have my coffee and I journal and I potter around, try not to make too much noise for my poor um, kids, um, although my son's up early. Um, I spend time with Apple. I'm, I'm an avid reader, so I have to control myself with reading at night because sometimes I wake up during the night and start wanting to read. Um, and, um, and then I do some work before I go to Pilates. Yeah. Um, I just try and maximise that time, to be honest, because, A, it's beautiful and quiet. Um, I'm trying not to, you know, go too far into what I'm doing that day, which is hard at times. So developing, you know, the conscious mind and appreciation, like, um, I think is really important. Um, sometimes I do really early meetings. Sometimes my team come and meet me um, and do Pilates with me. Um, which is amazing. Okay. So, and all of this helps you show up, I assume. All of that kind of is my recharge. And for example, I will switch it around. So if I had something I had to do that was quite strategic, I'll switch my mornings around because I know that's when I'm at my peak. Mm -hmm. And so I'll swap Pilates till the night or I'll walk Apple. So I do switch it around depending on what I have to do. Um, but, yeah, good. like I know everyone, again, thinks um, um, it's a cliche, but sleep is obviously really important. Mm-hmm. Um, went five months last year without alcohol and trying to do like a month on and off 
down and get a bit of a balance. So, yeah, um, as I said, it's kind of like you've got to realise that energy is probably um, the most important currency now. Do you enjoy the CEO role? I love it. Yeah. And I loved being a CEO as well. What, what is it that you love about the role? I love making a difference, both with our clients. Um, I love giving back to the community. So we do a lot in the DNI space, whether it's in the Indigenous space, in the uh, female space. We've done a lot in the last two years with defence and veterans. Um, I love seeing our, you know, so I've had some of my staff with me for like seven, eight years, and they've grown in so many different ways. Um, and I just love how, especially on the training um, front, like just seeing people grow, it's probably one of the most rewarding things and seeing them be vulnerable with each other, be a little bit more brave with each other and really realise, like empowering them with the toolkits I wish I had when I was younger. Mm. Did you um, always want to be a CEO or at what point? Not always. <laughs> when, when do you think that came onto your radar that you wanted to do it or might be able to do it? I think um, when I recognised some of the CEOs I was working for probably weren't as effective as I thought potentially um, they could be. And then I was like, you know, I could do this. I think that's such a good sign, isn't it? You know, if you... Because there's so many, um, you know, incredible females that I get to work with who um, don't haven't quite realised that they actually could be a CEO. I think they feel like yeah. the step is so much bigger from where they are into that role. And I'm all about closing that gap. And yes. you know, I think if people are looking around and they're they're asking those questions you're asking, or they're starting to think about strategically what they might change in the company and things like that, then they're ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they should have a voice for that too. Absolutely. I, I Googled. Think, so you go. I was going to say I Googled. Actually, someone told me this yesterday and I Googled it afterwards. I'd never done it before. I Googled CEO. So I didn't. Uh, that was it. That was all I put in there. And images. And all that came up were, uh, well, you could, you could guess, but all that came up was a stereotypical picture of a CEO, um, you know, White, white male, 40s, 50s. Um, so um, your, your photo wasn't there, Chris. We've got to get... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm very passionate about changing that. So, um, yeah, I, I look, I, not only am I passionate about changing, uh, obviously, to have more female CEOs um, or more diversity, um, not just females. Um, I'm also um, really passionate about how we can have that also um, politically. Totally. What would you say, Chris, to, um, you know, to emerging leaders out there who I know you work with often, what would you say about, you know, their, their ambitions and their potential? I think that they... Uh, obviously um, need to build the toolkits to really support them. Um, and there's just so many out there now, like whether it's, you know, that whole um, self-awareness, that whole self-regulation, and most importantly, self-management. Mm. Um, and then um, 
it's about confidence too. So when you've got those, I always say this when I interview people, like when you've got, um, and they're waiting before a role and they're so excited and got all that enthusiasm and passion, I'm like, write it down. The power of the brain to the pen, right? Write down all these ideas that you've got. Pitch it up. Pitch it to your mentor um, or to your leadership team. Mm. and then I always try and encourage uh, women coming through too is to try not to do it all so what do you say when you say don't do it all what 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 do you mean well it's well you can't like I feel like we set ourselves up to fail sometimes with our minds we want to be you might be an incredible partner we want to be incredible worker we want to be the most perfect um mom right where do we get this perfection from and i'm the worst i this is me this is, was me to a t um i'm much kinder on myself now than when i was younger so people looking at you chris thinking i could never do what chris does um how do you respond to that um i i mean they don't have to do what i do do you know what i mean like i think there's a level of and a lot of people say that to me um and I go you've just got to find what you like your best version of self and what you want to do like not everyone wants to be a c-level or a leader um and they've got to find their um happiness and their balance between work and life Mm. so um I wanted to ask you you talked about yourself as an elite athlete now and <laughs> I, don't, I, I try and train myself like what well, I'm definitely not one yet <laughs> when did that realization hit you like was that was that sort of a gradual thing or I think it was when I really started delving into neuroscience and I um you know it became easier as the kids grew up so I had more time I've always dabbled in like I did ballet when I was younger and I always kind of had like that kind of like Pilates kind of slant on things. It was definitely harder when I was um, at Drake or when I was younger because there was just not enough hours in the day. Whereas now I'm I'm pretty disciplined about it, um, and it really adds to um, obviously that whole well-being aspect of being a C level is so crucial. You know, I, I say I know myself now, so. I don't want to do, even though sometimes I do 15-hour days all the time. Um, if I if my conscious mind isn't on, you know, when you start, like, thinking about what else you've got to do, I'm like, you know what, get up from the laptop or from your meetings, um, go for a walk with Apple. Like, I'm, I'm good at that now, but it's taken me a long time to be like that. Would you have, you know, could you have done that in the earlier stage of your career? I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. So it's a simple, you didn't know how to do it. So nah, if I had no idea. I just tried harder and harder. Yes. And everything came, it was coming apart as it happens, as you know, like you can't, there's only so much you should give. And was I an effective C level? No. Then like, I just, like, I just gave more. And I was burning out everywhere. Was that always effective? Absolutely not. Not. And I look at it, obviously, I mentor and coach females now. Um, and I can see it in them all the time because that was me. 
you know, the exhaustion with the politics, the exhaustion with, um, you know, working 15, 16 hour days. If you could say two things to that group of people, what would be the two things you hear yourself saying most often? I always say protect your energy, try not to buy into the politics. Um, and I always say work out your patterns. Patterns is really important. Like they don't need to be like myself. Like everyone goes, oh, it's so amazing you get up so early. Okay. You know, I've got a lot of stuff that work for me that are night owls. Yes. And they start later. Yes. And that's okay. Everyone, we are all completely unique. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm an early bird. Um, I'm I'm useless at the other end of the day. So that's a pretty, pretty clear. Same. I'm pretty tired by then. Yeah, pretty clear pattern for me. So I would love to ask you, Chris, the final question that I ask of everybody, which is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean and do you think it needs to change? From my perspective, brave feminine leadership means um, building your own self-awareness of self and um, all of us obviously ensuring we support females as well. Um, can it evolve more? Absolutely. Thank you so much for um, you know joining our conversation and for being so uh, you know authentic and vulnerable around the various stages in your career and the lessons. I think there's so much for people to take away from um, you know, invest in yourself and invest in understanding yourself and your patterns. So it's just been such a pleasure to have the chance to have a chat with you. Thank you for joining the conversation. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Melissa. It's been an absolute pleasure.